welcome back to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 58. Welcome back. So this episode will feature two of the founding gentlemen who run Elite Wine and Whiskey, Steve Bishop and Nick Green. Steve Bishop started the company in 2012, and about a year later, uh, Nick Green joined them, and they've been together ever since. They are a wine and whiskey investment company based in London, and they deal primarily with uh, Scottish whiskey, um, Bordeaux, Burgundy, a little bit of California wines as well, and they are a, uh, like I said, a wine and whiskey investment company. We had a lovely chat, very cool guys, and uh, real fun guys to chat with. We kind of get into, at the start, their recent move to uh, outside of uh, central London. They were based in central London for the last few years, but with the with the pressures of COVID and um, issues with uh, retail space and leasing and uh, rent and wanting to find their own space, they decided to move outside of London. And they're actually in a bit of a rebranding right now as well. Uh, so um, lots of big changes for them in the last little while. So we just basically started talking about uh, their most recent move to outside of uh, central London. Let's uh, let's get right into it. When we first started the business back in 2012, we were based in Surrey. Uh, had a sort of small um, office, a sort of six-man office. Uh, eventually moved from there and got uh, other premises in Surrey as well, which basically was about a sort of 20-person um, office space it was a lot bigger wasn't it with our, yeah. with our own space but then yeah eventually uh, we decided to move to central london we thought there was more opportunity there we had a lot more clientele that wanted to sort of come and see us i think from from day one we've always had a policy of it's an open door we want as many clients to just feel free to, to pop in and see us as and when they liked um, we felt to be in central london was it's the hub it's a lot of our clients can get to london not just to see us but of course for, for the tourism as well if, if they do want to come and see sites so yeah we moved to central london we were there uh, for three years but it was a serviced office it was in monument really really nice um very modern it looked over the river thames we had tower bridge to our left the shard in front of us it was it had a, a four thousand square foot terrace which we could use for, for wine tasting events which was great when clients did come to see us um but then of course yeah covid came about um we were in excess of, of quite large uh, rent bills and of course we, we couldn't use the, the offices as we wanted to so we, we decided last year that it was a good time to sort of try and come out of just the, the central of London which we did Battersea being in the outskirts but we decided to actually take on a lease instead so with the building we're in now it's, it's split over three floors we could really put our own stamp on it we basically took over as, as a shell it was it had carpets that looked like they were from the 70s um, the walls needed painting uh, there was no furniture it was literally pretty much a, a shell so we we stripped it out we basically put wooden floors throughout we put tvs on walls we bought some nice furniture 
got a really nice reception area and um yeah it's it's, it's more like home isn't it it's our, yeah. it's our own that, it's our own hub that was literally us two as well by the way that was uh assembling all the, the new equipment yeah. and on our hands and knees so yeah <laughs> yeah kept us busy as well through lockdown through lockdown yeah while everyone else was uh yeah having to sort of quarantine and be tucked away we decided to yeah, getting get into the new office in, in Battersea and yeah, like Nick just said, was assembling furniture and uh yeah, become handyman for a few weeks, which was which was different. Uh, it's uh putting your person your own personal touch on it there. Exactly that. No, that's what, and that's what we did. And, and we're still developing the office now. We're we're literally in the process of having a, a, a bar area built downstairs. Uh now the COVID um restrictions being loosened, of course, from from next week, we can start having clients come into the office as uh, so we want to have like a, a, a nice whiskey and wine um, bar and, and tasting room built downstairs as well so we can invite clients and have that same open door policy that we've we've pretty much stuck to for the last 10 years which would be nice well and, and that is the i mean that is the important thing once you develop that relationship with someone right and you have that that person's portfolio and you have that that um that connection with that person you definitely want to keep that that personal touch and and have that person be able to see them in person and and have those tastings and have that uh, that time to, to spend together. Yeah, I think one of the one of the positives as well with COVID and, it, and it's it's allowed us to sort of move with the times a little bit more and be a little bit more digital. And we've we've um, we're using things like Zoom um, and we're, we're sort of doing a lot more meetings this way. And we, we never used to. Um, we've always wanted to meet as many clients as possible, and we were very hands-on. We would have tastings at a place called Hedonism Wines in Mayfair, probably sort of every four to six weeks. Um, and of course, when when they stopped, we was like, okay, how are we going to sort of really meet clientele? So we were doing monthly uh, wine tastings on online, where all our clients could basically uh, subscribe to that. We would send them out a, a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey in the in the post. Um, and it's just enabled us to sort of still say, sort of see our clients and be be visual instead of just basically being a voice on, on the other end of the phone, which is the way we've adapted over the last sort of 18 months. But yeah, of course, from the 19th of July, we, we've back to the COVID restrictions, we've lifted and we should be able to start meeting some clients again. We've actually got a, our first physical uh, face-to-face uh, tasting on the 30th of this month back at Heavenism in, in Mayfair, which would be nice to actually see some of our clientele again. That's obviously been trying the trying time for you guys for sure. Yeah, I mean, that definitely faced a lot of challenges. Um, but again, just kind of what Steve mentioned, the ethos of our company is very family orientated, um, transparent. You know, every step of the way. So, because nobody could come to the office and we couldn't meet anybody, that's why we had to um, we had to get used to doing things like Zoom videos and Loom videos as well. So instead of just sending out a generic email, it's an actual video attachment of us running through maybe an educational piece, just keeping them in the loop really about current market conditions. Um, challenging, but you know I think we come through come through it very well to be honest with you. And um, I think since September, October last year, business has really started to elevate as well um, through to the success of, of whiskey. Did you find that a lot of people had obviously more time on their hands, more time to look into, you know, things to invest in, um, perhaps maybe more of a, of a cash flow because they weren't necessarily going on trips or, or doing other things. Yeah. Maybe we're investing more in, in wine and whiskey. Yeah, we, we found it, we found it difficult to start with because I think no one really knew what was going to happen. Um, COVID was of course, unexpected, um, and we found a lot of people basically sat on their hands, 
didn't know what, what to do. We didn't know, of course, a lot of people track things that were going on in the stock market. We've seen sort of billions of pounds come off the stock market very, very quickly. There was a load of uncertainty. Of course, interest rates have been really, really low as well for, for people's ISAs. And, and that's helped people look at diversification in, in different um, investments like wine, like whiskey. But we, we saw a few months where people were pretty much sitting on their hands. And it, it was worrying because we had clients, unfortunately, some of them had to sell because, of course, they're in different circumstances they didn't want to be in. Um, we didn't have the exit strategies at the time that we had before because, of course, the hospitality sector was literally shut. So some of our exit strategies that we would have had in place for clientele before had, had come to a halt. So we, we did find it a little bit difficult for a few months. And, of course, I think people realised that this was with us for a while. Uh, we had to move on. We had to basically start investing again. We, we had to find places to, to put our money in. Like you said, we had more time on our hands. So there were some really, really positive stories uh, surrounding the whiskey market, which, which helped us. I think our online presence grew because of the fact of that we were becoming more digital and then business started coming to us very, very quickly and very heavily, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. We, we were people that before might have been having to sort of chase business and, and try and approach people and, and, and do um, big meetings and big tastings and try and get people to come to them to, to explain what we do as a company. But instead it sort of flipped on its head and, we had people, like we've had an influx of people for, for the whole of this year actually coming to us. The phone rings daily, people have questions, they're filling out online forms. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, it's, it was challenging last year because we didn't know where we stood, but it's, it's, it's come through. It's actually been a positive for us as a, as a company because it's, it's helped us progress. It's forced our arm to progress and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's put us in a lot stronger position than what it was in two years ago. We've, me and Steve are very passionate wine drinkers um, and obviously being involved in the industry, that, that passion has just elevated. You know, I'd probably say that we're uh, borderline alcoholics now, but uh, <laughs> now we, we really love red wine. Um, about five years ago, what we've done as a company, uh, just me and, me and Steve, we actually bought some whiskey just for ourselves, just to sit on. We didn't ever sell it on because we didn't have the licensing at the time to do so, but we were, you know, obviously we were keen to diversify our personal portfolios so we bought some whiskey between us um, and it actually come about that through lockdown we just checked to see what the whiskey was performing like and I mean we were talking in excess of you know 10-15 percent per year since we bought it and we did have it for over five years didn't we yeah so that that was when we you know obviously we've come to the decision well it'd be great if we could offer this out to you know our clients as well to give them some diversification um, so that was when we started the proceedings of, you know, applying for the, the appropriate licensing to be able to, to trade whiskey. So it was, that was literally how, how it happened. Um, and we were just, we were just stunned at the growth and we were just hoping that we could get, get the ball rolling really and offer it to our clientele. Yeah. I think I read something that one of your favorites is uh, Latour. Is that, is that correct? My, my favorite wine that I've had up there, fortunate enough to, of course, to try some, some fantastic wines over, over time. I think it's funny how palettes change as well because the, the big hitting Bordeaux wines, the, the sort of Latours, Lafitte Rothschilds, the Mouton Rothschilds, are absolutely fantastic. And then I've noticed over the last sort of couple of years as well that the, the Californian um, wines have become really, really popular. They're, they're, they're not as heavy as the big hitting Bordeaux. They're, they're a little bit easier on the, on the palate. You've got the Cabernet Sauvignons where they're sort of softer, probably a little bit easier to drink as well. And, and they're producing some really, really good wines. And I've, 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 
felt with the Californian ones as well, it's a, probably a younger audience that they're targeting. Some of the labels on, on a lot of the, the, uh, the vineyards are sort of younger, a bit quirkier, and I think they're trying to um, approach a younger target audience, and I think they've succeeded in doing so. So even though on my uh, blurb for the, it, it does say on the website that my favourite drink is the Latour 04. I think, it's the, I think the Latour 04 is probably the one that, that blew me away more than anything else I've had. But I was like, well, this is, this is really, 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 not really great. But yeah, there's been plenty of other good and, and amazing wines that we've been fortunate enough to try over time. Wine's taken a bit of a hit over the last, last couple of years with the kind of an increase of ciders and increase of, there's a lot of other, a lot of other options on the market. Let's say gin has, has been making another big push, especially in North America. I think wine will always be popular. I think it's a, it's a great drink to sort of sit and, and share and it's something that you can talk about. There's a, there's a lot of history behind it. There's a lot of work that goes into making a, a good bottle of wine. Um, yeah, you're right. I think there's, especially over here as well in the UK, gin just went like literally, every, it was booming like gin over the last couple of years. And I think that's what's been great about whiskey as well. It's, whiskey was predominantly known as an old, old man sort of drink. It wasn't really known as something to be cool and drunk by younger people but we're seeing more and more whiskey bars popping up now in london once again with the labels and the distilleries i think they're aiming at a, a, a slightly younger target audience and it's become it's almost like trendy like gin has been over the last couple of years whiskey's now uh, replicating that but of course with the amount of uh, heritage behind scotch whiskey as well i think that's why it's going to keep performing in the way it has been it's, it's doing extremely well there's, there's no sign of, of any slow up at all with with, with the growth of whiskey um and i think we've the interest that we've got from overseas and like I said, it being more and more popular around the, the younger generations now, it's, it's quite cool. Uh, should we say, I, I think that the growth will keep going in a way it is. Well, I mean, it's, and especially with all the cocktails as well, like not just straight, not just straight Scotch whiskey, but then just the influence of, of cocktails as well. And, and um, I mean, it's obviously the versatility is there, right? So, you know, even Rosé, I mean, everything's kind of, everything's taken off over the last couple of years and, uh, and obviously with, with COVID as well, people are at home, they're experimenting more, maybe they're trying new things. And uh, yeah, I, can't, I couldn't agree more that um, everything's kind of taken off. And, uh, but I, I guess my question as well is, what's, what is your demographic for, for investors? With the, with the wine um, market, I think the demographic was um, in particular, you're retired, you know, 60 to kind of 75 years of age. Some something that's kind of um there's less hassle for them they don't have to worry about you know waking up every day and seeing if global news has affected their investment so we found that that was your typical age uh, from the investor within the wine market with whiskey it seems to have kind of spun it on its head we're getting you know you're we're getting 25 year olds that are investing that are literally you know jumping online again because people have been at home and everything's so accessible like you said they're experimenting you know, they're seeing uh, whiskey portfolios that have been held for 15, 20 years that have, you know, 10x, for example. So, yeah, I think it's just opened up to a whole new demographic now. Um, and again, like Steve mentioned before, it was run by your kind of avid wine enthusiast, you know, really old gentleman. With whiskey now and, you know, with the kind of media attention that's um, perceived, again, everybody's online and they're just looking, not, not exactly looking for whiskey because they love whiskey but they're also just looking at it from an investment perspective and seeing the amount of growth that they can make so i think now the age gap is is, is, is widened hugely we're looking at maybe 25 to kind of 60 year old i'd say is our, our age bracket yeah 
And of course, the, the, the period of length of hold for whiskey can, can vary as well. So if we've got sort of younger people getting in touch with us, they might say, look, we can, we can look at this as a 10 to 20 year old like, hold. So they might buy like a new make spirit or something that's only sort of two or three years old and, and know that they can sit on that for sort of 20 years. Um, or we might have an older gentleman who's just had a, a granddaughter or a grandson being born and said, look, okay, I'd like to, to buy a cask of whiskey and uh, know that they can have that for their sort of 21st birthday. So um, I think it's quite nice. I think there's something behind it, a, a bit of kudos. It's quite nice to say you own a bit of Scottish history. I think um, a lot of people in the UK, they, they understand that the work and the craftsmanship that goes into the distilleries in, in Scotland. And I think it's quite nice when people can say that they own a little bit of heritage, they, they own a cask for themselves. It's quite nice. To, it's, it's almost like bragging rights as well, isn't it, to your friends? Like I, I've got, I own a whole cask of, of this whiskey. It's, 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 pretty, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. I did a, a small road trip through Scotland myself a couple of years ago, actually, a uh, year, um, year before everything kind of shut down. And uh, it, there is certainly something to be said for, for seeing the amount of uh, attention to detail and, uh, yeah. and work that goes into it for sure, 100%. And, um, and then just to enjoy... Like you said, just enjoy the history of the Scotch, right? Like, there's there's something satisfying about um, being able to enjoy something that, like you said, has has been around for generations. Yeah, yeah. I think as well, it's, it's given our, our customers options as well. It's something that they can actually have a hand in. Of course, we've, we've done extremely well with with one. We're, we're really proud of what we've managed to achieve for our clients. But um, I think with the whiskey side, it's quite exciting from when we can because we're literally in the process of teaming up with a bottling company as well in Scotland, and it's given our clients options where we've, for example, just taken a, a Talabadeen, which was a 2015, and we've, we've actually put it into sherry casks. So for us to be able to actually uh, try different expressions and, and literally change the, the actual course of that whiskey is it's quite exciting for some of our clients to get involved in and knowing that we're doing something new, something that's quirky. Um, if they decide to bottle that when it's sort of a 21-year-old or a 15-year-old, they have options of... Of, they've got some sort of form of control as well and we can help them help them do that well and i think especially when you're younger if if you do have the you know the time and and the money uh to get into something when you're younger right uh, you know um and like you said a lot of people are starting to do their research and starting to realize what can make you what can make you money and what can what is something that, I, that as a 25 year old yeah you can sit on it for 25 you know 20 25 years and now that you know, you can kind of do your own research and, and realize, hey, this is something if I, if I start younger, right, uh, like anything in life, right, if you can, you know, own real estate younger, anything, you know, pretty much yeah. these days. Just curious, actually, about the foreign market as well with a lot of uh, overseas investors. Have you got much in that, uh, that market or is it mostly UK based? At the moment, I would say that we are mainly UK based, but it's, it's, uh, it's an area that we're looking to tap into. Um, you know, done a lot of due diligence and we're finding that a lot of the spending power is coming from uh, Far East in particular. And as everybody knows, when countries in the Far East get involved in things, you know, these, these economies are, they're huge. Um, so obviously we've, you know, we do want to get involved in that, but we're just, you know, we're just making the right steps now to get involved basically. Japanese whiskey has also been extremely popular over the last few years, but it's, it's something that we've, we've been offered a lot. Um, we don't want to, we, we know, the Far East are here to stay. They're, they're, they're heavily involved. It's the same with wine. They've been involved now for, for wine in, in a big way and there's no sign of them leaving. It's something that they've got a passion for. But with, with Japanese whiskey, we just know that in comparison to what the research we can do with, with Scottish whiskey, we know there's so much heritage there. We know there's so much 
Um, we can compare prices. We've seen what it's done over the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years. So as it stands at the moment, as an actual uh, market, we're just sticking to, to Scottish whiskey as well for our clientele. So I think the Japanese, um, we do want to venture over to the Far East and we will then start purchasing Japanese stock as well at some point. But as it stands at the moment, we just we, we just want to make sure it's right for our clientele and just know that we've got some track history behind what we're, what we're putting in their portfolios. Well, and there's nothing like the cachet of, of Scottish whiskey as well. There's, there's, there's something to be said, like you said, for, uh, for stable, stableness, for, you know, stability in, in, in investment as well. There's something to be said about, about uh, owning and, and drinking Scottish whiskey. Yeah, that's the thing as well. We, we, we try to be diverse. We, we, of course, as a company, we need to, to keep our, our eyes and, and ears on the market and listen to, to sort of uh, fads and trends. And we've, we've, we're not always going to get it right as a company. We, we, a few years ago, we did actually look at diversifying some portfolios and we looked at a lot of um, Californian stock. And even though the Californian stock's been great, it hasn't actually done the performance that we, we really wanted it to, to make. Um, looking back, could we have just sat and, and stuck with the traditional sort of Bordeaux and Burgundies? They, they might have performed better. They, they probably would have done. But I think that the Californian stock we've, we've bought is it's fantastic, fantastic wines graded very, very highly. Have they performed as well as we wanted? Probably not. We're probably looking at a, a longer hold than we initially expected. But over time, we know that the wines, because they, they are graded extremely highly, they are sought after wines. They will do well, but it's just not quite, we didn't get that one quite right. And obviously that, that sometimes happens. And I think from having that experience, it's made us even more careful with the, the, the whiskey market. And, and like we say, everyone knows Scotch. Scotland's known for for probably producing the best whiskey in the world. So for us to, to make sure we've got the securities there for our clientele, it's, it's where we're, we're keeping our feet on the, uh, on, the, on the Scottish section for now. Well, and it's interesting you said about, um, about Californian wines because that's definitely been a, a, a growth, but obviously, uh, as you guys have said, it didn't grow exponentially like Bordeaux and Burgundy have done over the last while. You know, Napa's, Napa's growing, but I guess it's not obviously growing to the same uh, to the same percentage or the same degree, although it's, it, it is a, it is a good investment, but it's not, it's not that extreme rise that you've seen in the other markets. Oh, exactly. Right. Well, the thing is because we, you know, Napa has got a lot of attention. There's a lot of hedge fund managers that are, you know, pumping money into these chateaus in America. Everyone was talking about Californian wine is the next Burgundy. So it did get the media attention that, you know, it deserved at that time. But let's not forget, you know, there were certain tariffs that were put in place. Um, and I just don't think lockdown has, has been kind to, you know, certain areas of the wine market. But everything moves in cycles, right? So we know long term, you know, if you're going to buy um, a blue chip wine, whether that's from Bordeaux or, or America, you do know that over time, it's, gonna, it's still going to be a safe option. I just don't think... I just think lockdown wasn't too kind in the uh, in the American uh, wine market. Would something like um, the wildfires and things of that sort does that play in at all when when you when perhaps the stock isn't going to be what it is or what you yeah. think it's supposed to be? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean obviously it's horrific scenes that that happened. Um, uh, turning that into a bit of a positive is actually it was actually a good thing for the market because it meant that less were available means production was stopped. And all it meant was ones that, you know, had been produced, they were just rarer. So they were just more um, kind of, they were more wanted. So the price tag of them should have gone up. So I think it was a positive, but obviously it's, without being horrible, it's quite hard to say that that's a positive when there was 
you know, such horrific things that happened there. But yeah, it was just one of those things um, that happened. And, you know, to be honest with you, we, we thought that it was a great purchase as a company. We, we actually leapt in and bought more because of that, because we knew that the fires had stopped production. But again, it was just the, the hospitality sector was, you know, um, was non-existent and it just didn't help. I still think long term, I still think it will be a good investment. You're talking about opening up in the next couple of weeks and, and starting to get some uh, some kind of in-person tastings and stuff going and get a little bit more a little bit more face-to-face -face, uh, in the next little bit. Is there something for yourselves that, uh, in regards to Scotch, is there something for for tastings that you guys have found that has always been something that's been one of your one of your personal favorites? I prefer drinking Scotch more than Nick does. He's still acquiring a, a, a taste and a palate for it, shall we say? Um, I've I'm I'm learning a lot still. I'm, I'm I'm definitely learning a lot still. But I'm there's a few scotches that I I, I love to drink. Um, I was lucky enough to try a, a Tomatin 30 year old recently uh, that almost sort of tasted like pineapple. It was like crazy how much like pineapple it tasted. It was it was extremely smooth. Um, uh, and another one's a, a Craig Anarchy, uh the 17 and the and the 13 are two like like extraordinary whiskies that are literally just so easy to drink so it's quite dangerous having them at home it's literally just a, a, a small small treat of a glass every here and there but yeah we're, we're tomatin is one of my favorites by the way Tomat when we went through scotland tomatin was one of my favorites oh it's stunning and have you have you tried the 30 year old i have yes yeah yeah, yeah, so um, yeah, extraordinary uh, drink. So, but I've we, we're more so we've tried a lot more wine over time, and a, and a whiskey is something that we're we're doing more and more with, with wine. Of course, there's well, especially Nick has, has tried some extraordinary wines, but more so me with the whiskey side because I think you know, like I said, Nick's just a, a, acquiring a taste and and growing the palate for it. It's crazy because we're working within wine and whiskey. You get so many people ask you, okay, well, what's your favorite? What shall I buy? And to be honest, it's, everybody has a different different palette. You know, what I, what I like, Steve might not like, and yourself might not like. So everybody has, you know, different taste buds. Um, we're just super excited to get the event underway again. Just, you know, a bit of normality for us as well, as, as well as our clients. Um, we're tasting some, you know, a vast range of different Scotch whiskies at the event as well. So we're just super excited to just host it and, you know, again, meet people and just get them to taste, you know, things that they potentially might or already have invested in. I totally get what you're saying because like uh, for myself, I like the PD, the really PD scotches as an example. So that's not everybody's, you know, it's not everybody's favorite. So like Lefroig is one for me that, uh, you know, I like that earthy PD and, and even in my wines, I like all the smoky, I like the Syrahs and I like the Pinots and, and all the ones that have got like the nice smoky, you know, tobacco, leather, cedar, all that kind of, right? So real earthy ones. So everyone's got their favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes for me, I just like, uh, I don't know if you tried the Japanese from the Hibiki range, it's the, the Cheetah. Uh, and it's just, a, it's, a, it's a blended whiskey. It's really easy to drink, but it's, it's soft. It's vanilla-y. It's yeah, really, really easy. And it's a, uh, like a, a midweek maybe a, a treat of an evening sort of a whiskey as well so mm. but um yeah we've we've had a lot going on we're literally doing a, a whole new rebrand of the company at the moment as well so we're doing uh having a new website built and going back to the the, the more so of the of us having to change and, and develop uh and become sort of more digital we're, we're having a new website built and we're having an online shop uh currently built as well uh which should go live over the next couple of weeks and i think the idea for us is 
we, we want to sort of basically educate customers. So of course, we, we, we talk to customers daily. They, they ring up, we, we phone them, and we have relationships that are built over time. But we, we understand now that people do have busy lives. They sometimes might want to sit there of an, of an evening with a, a glass of wine or whiskey or whatever it may be and, and educate themselves. So we're, we're having a whole new website built where it will be tutorial. There will be basically ways of investing into to, to whiskey. There will be lots of contents and videos on all the different distilleries. Uh, when we get basically any opportunities, we can let our clients know and they won't have to necessarily pick up the phone and, and, and place an order um over the telephone they can actually just do this all, all online so that should go live within the next couple of weeks but then between now and christmas we're actually having a whole new rebrand of, of the company as well so there's to be a, a behind the scenes there's a new website being built we're actually um changing the logo from what we've currently got and we're, we're literally having a, a whole huge new portal being built which should be exciting and really easy and accessible for for the, for the, uh, the customers to use basically also in the process of acquiring an office in Scotland as well, which I think just gives us so much more opportunity to have someone there, you know, 24 seven, um, you know, building relationships to just keep, keep what we've built so far as well. So there's, there's a lot going on with, like Steve said, by Christmas, the whole look of the company should be totally different. So we're, yeah, we're just, we're just super excited at the minute. Nick and I met about eight years ago for a mutual friend. Um, yeah, we've, just, we've actually become friends, which is nice as well. So we're, we're both married, we've both got, got, got children. Um, our children have got close over time. So we have our family holidays and that together. So even though we work with each other every day, we still actually holiday with each other. We don't, don't get bored of each other's company. We're, we're both all right, really. Pull us out and deck. So, um, but yeah, it's, we, we enjoy what we do. We're, it, we've got We've got a nice team. We've got a, a nice office where we work. We've got some great customers and clients and, and, and the business is growing. So, um, like I said, we've been in talks with a bottling company recently, which pretty much we're, we're nearly over the line of that as well. So by about October, we should have signed an agreement with them. Um, that will allow us to store a lot of our casks at, the, at their distillery and their bonded warehouse. Uh, and it give all our clients the opportunity to sort of go to Scotland, see their casks and actually use their bottling process uh, and if they want to, to, to basically take that whiskey from a cask and, and bottle it if they want to. So it's, um, yeah, we're giving all our, our customers a, a journey, which we're embarking on and, and they're joining us, which is, which is really exciting. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests. Friendsofthevine.podbean.com Take care. Have a glass for me. <laughs>